everybody, this is Townsend. Thank you so much for tuning in. The goal of this podcast is to cover a vast variety of topics regarding mental health, struggles, share people's stories, and hopefully remind you that you're not alone. I hope you enjoy. So let's introduce yourself first off. So what is your name? Where are you originally from? We'll start with that. Uh, my name is Kayla. Last name is Bergeron. I'm originally from the Bayou State. I'm a Cajun. I'm glad I didn't attempt that. I knew I was going to butcher it. <laughs> Southern Bur- grace of God. <laughs> I love it. Okay, we're just going to hop to it. Okay, so I saw Kayla on the news. She was kind of sharing her story about therapy, and they were relating it back to the events at 9-11. And crazy enough, she was at the events when it happened on 9-11. She was in the North Tower, which is the World Trade Center. There are two towers, for those of you who don't know. Um, And they both came crashing down that day. So my question is, did you actually work in the World Trade Center? And if so, what was your job title there? I worked in the World Trade Center. Um, I was director of public affairs. I had the job of a lifetime with a corner office view of the Statue of Liberty. Wow, I can't imagine. It was wonderful. Yeah, so how long did you work there? Eight years. Eight years, okay, very good. So uh, if you don't mind, I would like you to just kind of walk us through the events of that day. So I, I like to do a lot of research before I do these live streams. And I know you and I kind of agreed super last minute. So I was watching documentaries and reading information about it. And when I saw this happen on the news, I was super young. Um, so I was going into, I was in seventh grade. I remember watching on the TV because my mom was about to take me to school and we waited a little while because she was just staring at it. And I remember walking in with my backpack and be like, we're going to be late. What are you doing? And she was just like at the TV. And in the moment she tried to explain, you know, this is happening in New York. Um, all these things, it could be dangerous. And I just, could, I didn't fathom any of it. I thought where, why would that affect us? We're not in New York. You know, you just can't relate it to you at that age. And now, now I'm 30 and I look back and I watch these documentaries and it was, it hit me so hard to think I watched that happen. Even though it didn't connect that day, it still hits so hard now to think I was around for that. That wasn't long ago. You know, and that seems like something so foreign. Um, I actually read something saying that that was the first attack of U.S. soil since 1812. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's bizarre that it happened. And the fact that you were there. Yeah. Um, I have a brother who is a Katrina survivor. I told my sister, she's next. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Bless y'all. Y'all, y'all got some angels watching out for you for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So... You were on the 68th floor, correct? Yeah, that morning I had voted in the mayor election. Actually, I saw Rudy Giuliani at the polling booth and then the next mayor, Michael Bloomberg. I go take the train downtown, get out on Fulton Street, go to Starbucks, get my venti mocha. Of course. Strolled across the plaza to the uh, One World Trade Center, which was the North Tower, to my office in my chair. I'm preparing for a nine o'clock meeting with my boss, Neil Levin, who's the superintendent of the Port Authority. And um, all of a sudden, the building lurches forward about 10 feet, and then it comes back. 
Then a few minutes later, it was as if someone was emptying out their office from above. We could see papers everywhere. Then we saw some shards of glass and some soot. But I'm thinking it had to be a small plane that inadvertently veered off course. That's what it had to be. And so I sent staff to the Marriott, which was on the plaza of the World Trade Center. That's where we set up a command center for the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. So I sent staff ahead, get your flash drive with your business continuity plan, the pencils, the papers. I said, drop a lot of phone lines. Meanwhile, I sent senior staff a note saying, we're setting up there, report there. So I'm at my job, doing my stuff, texting my staff. Then a security guard comes in and says, you're licensed, Daniel, you have to evacuate. Okay. So I walked the floor with the security guard to make sure no one was left behind. And the phone rings on the way out. Of course, I had to get the phone. Sure. It was NBC News, Tom Brokaw's office. They said, we want to go live. I said, I'm so oh. sorry. We can't go live at Lives in Danger. And it's probably an intern. You don't understand. This is Tom Brokaw's office. I'm sorry. Click. So, so I go to the stairwell, everything was calm, it was orderly, because after the 1993 bombing, we had drilled and drilled and drilled. Um, and as the police officers would come down, we'd step aside. As the firefighters with the heavy um, um, air tanks, we just stepped aside. Everything is going fine until I get to about the 34th floor when I see my colleague from aviation. And for people who aren't aware of the Port Authority, it's the largest transportation facility in the country. It built the World Trade Center, but is responsible for the major New York airports and New Jersey airports, the tunnels, the bridges, the train, the port. So it's a conglomerate. So I see her in aviation. We're walking, we're talking. And then someone sends me, this is before the iPhone or the Android. I had a REM pager, REM Blackberry pager. Terrorist attack World Trade Center. Thinking, um, we can't have panic there, so let me just think. So I see my friend, I said, I'm going to show you something, don't react. She looks at it, I look at it, we look at each other. Let's get this line moving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so everything is going well, going well until we get to about the sixth floor. That's when it felt like the, the planet shook. It was like a hundred freight trains going a hundred miles per hour. That was the intensity and the noise. Um, we knew it had to be the South Tower. And so our building twisted. The lights went out. We were thrown off the platform below. These big old pipes in the stairwells, that was water that was carried to the chillers for the cooling system. That burst. And um, that's the moment uh, you never know how you're going to react in those circumstances. I must have been an angel. I was very calm, just taking a breath, and all of a sudden, boom. Port Authority Police Officer David Lim appears a flight ahead of us, and he says, come up, come up. Well, we didn't want to come up because the other building just came down. Yeah. But there was no choice. And so he took us through a maze through another stairwell. Same thing, the water, the lights. But we started to come down and I see all this white. So I'm thinking we're, we're almost out. And, and, and the water is coming so rapidly 
um, they're only allowed two at a time to go down in the open, to open the stairwell do door to get us into the building. We were holding on to the belt buckles of the person in front of us. And so um, we think we're out. We lost track of the other people we were with and we were in this room. It, 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 was, it was surreal. It was like there was a blizzard and the blizzard had just stopped. The ceiling, the walls, the ground was like fresh fallen snow. And um, we couldn't see any doors or anything. I realized later we were at the lobby at One World Trade Center at West Side Highway and um, Bessie Street. So um, we're looking around, people on with us scream. I'm like, don't scream because there's debris still coming down. Well, it's said, time to scream, no footprints. <laughs> yeah, wow. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to You're Not Alone with Townsend. If you're enjoying these live streams and podcasts and want to see them continue, head over to patreon.com slash Music. Your support means that the research and time and effort that goes into each one of these episodes can continue, and we can reach out to more guests and do more awesome things in 2022. All right, back to the conversation. So we started screaming, and all of a sudden we see this light, and someone on the bullhorn says, if you can see the light, follow the light. So we followed the light. They cleared a section so we could go through. We came out of the side of the, the building and what we saw is not something you would ever expect to see on American soil. Maybe some people in the military in war, but the destruction, the metal, the concrete, um, the soot, um, just, just smell of death and destruction everywhere. So we walked along the, the side of the building. Now the plaza level is not ground level yet, so we're not out yet. And so we get to what's now known as the survivor staircase. If you go to the, the museum, you'll see it. 30 tons of concrete, 38 steps. That's what saved my life that day. We got to the ground, trying to take a breath. And all of a sudden the police officer says, run. I'm like, run, my little suit. My little pumps run after that. All of a sudden, I turn around. Here comes this black, thick cloud of, of dust. And it was engulfing all over Manhattan. So if you're familiar with New York blocks, New York City blocks are pretty, pretty long. I scrambled 16 blocks to the Holland Tunnel. And as the plume came closer, I dove under a car. Wow. So... I got up when it kind of dissipated. The merchants were nice, they gave us water. And I'm trying to think of the next thing. So I texted staff, we gotta to go to New Jersey. Our police headquarters are just over the other side of the Holland Tunnel in Jersey City. So I flagged down one of our cops, he takes us there. And we're waiting, we're waiting. I said, where's Neil Levin, my boss? He's up at Windows in the World, the 107th floor. Wow. Where's Fred Marone, the superintendent of police? And so we waited, and all of a sudden I see Ernesto Butcher, who's the chief operating officer. He comes in, he's covered in soot. He's one of the senior staff I sent to the Marriott, and the ceiling caved down on. So 
thank God they were okay. Go on, you know, but the thought of sending somebody to their death kind of haunted me. Um, so we get there and the chief operating officer, Kale, I need your help. Now I'm thinking of news media. I'm thinking of public information officers, thousands of media calls, the elected officials. He says, we need to figure out who's dead and who's alive. Oof. The human resources people hadn't arrived yet. And I said, let me just think about this. So I call a friend from another department. I don't know if she was in the building or not. So I called her house, you know, reluctantly dialed because you don't know if they're going to answer the phone. Right. She said, Kelly, Kelly, you're alive. I'm like, Norma, Norma, you're alive. She was on the last train from New York to New Jersey. They had just stopped before it ran to the World Trade Center. Wow. So she came in. She was awesome at logistics and thinking things through. And so we, we put together spreadsheets and we set up a phone number. Employees needing to know where to report, call this number. So as they called, we clapped, we cheered. Then we set up another line for families who hadn't heard from a loved one. That was, and so with that one on the spreadsheet. I think I got home at 2 a.m. the next day. Wow. Um, and I, I lived 90th between first and second. You just couldn't get, even with the windows closed, that smell of death was everywhere. The next day I decided to just move into uh, a hotel in New Jersey because it was gonna be too much commuting every day, 6 a.m. meetings, 6 p.m. meetings. Um, so I did that. The governor's offices sent me public information officers um, and we worked around the clock, worked around the clock. I think I worked maybe eight months without a day off. We just kept the eye on the prize. We went from um, rescue to recovery. Then we had the 9-11 commission hearings, which was especially difficult for Port Authority employees since we built the building. You had grieving family members there. These big photos of daughters and sons lost. You pointing the finger, Port Authority, you killed my son. Port Authority, you killed my daughter. And meanwhile, I had lost 72 colleagues. Um, that's the moment when I decided to minimize um, anything I might have experienced because as the families would tell me, you should be happy to be alive. So I kind of just sucked it up. Um, and then we went to the rebuilding process, build the towers, don't build the towers, build the park there. You know, New York is uh, <laughs> there's a, a divergence of opinion, but we built it. We built a, a wonderful museum, a memorial, I think that everyone should see. Um, wherever you were that day, it puts you there. It's accurate, but it's um, very sensitively done, very professional. Um, they did a fantastic job. Wow. So meanwhile, 2006, I get a great job offer in Florida, working for this little agency called the South Florida Water Management Agency. They're in charge of the water resources from Orlando to the Keys. And over the years, all the farms going, you know, going into the water, polluting the water. The cool work that they were doing, though, is using plants. They dropped the plants from a helicopter in the water, and the plants clean the water. So for all that man has done, to see nature clean nature is fantastic. Um, until a new governor comes in, the housing boom. So I'm a, I'm a casualty of that with 179 other people. Same time, my mother diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And 
Not long after my brother was a Katrina survivor, he died of a heart attack. Um, when I had DUI number one in Florida, I knew something was wrong, but I wasn't a soldier. I wasn't a first responder. I wasn't a victim of domestic violence. So I didn't think I had PTSD because I didn't fit into the categories. So all those years I realized I was kind of walking wounded, didn't know what it was. I just thought I was depressed because of the job, lost my mom and my brother. So that's DUI number one. My mom is dead. I come here with my eight-year-old dad. And uh, 2017, January, DUI number two. But it was a life changer because this little obscure program called the Forsyth County, Georgia Accountability Program they have a program that's unique to other programs across the country, not just the accountability part. You know, I accept responsibility for what I did. I could have killed someone, but they have a treatment component. That's where not the government, not, not the agency is supposed to help the people who, 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 who were injured or mentally or physically. It was this little obscure gov county government is where I got diagnosed with PTSD 17 years later. So um, that changed my life. I'm an advocate for them now. Um, have that second chance, the individual therapy, the group therapy, seeing the doctor with the medication, not benzos or anything like that, nothing addictive, um, plus all the other things we had to do, including recovery meetings. Um, but I knew something was kind of missing. I was kind of fidgety. And I think one of the reasons I didn't know I didn't have PTSD because I always work at a very fast pace. It was only when things slowed down, here, here it comes to the surface. And so um, someone said, hey, why don't you try equine therapy? Well, as a, as a nine-year-old, I fell off a horse. So I was like, oh, I'll try it. I'll try it. Yeah, I mean, I've ridden a horse since then, but you just sit and ride a horse, talk to the horse. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so I get there, I'm just looking around, this big mare, her name is uh, Lily. I'm just like petting her and I look in. All of a sudden she puts her head right here. And all of a sudden, all of this self-loathing, um, the heavy weight of the PTSD and all the wrongs in the world and all the feelings uh, of regret and sorrow and loss kind of dissipated in the air. And I tell people, I don't believe in reincarnation. <laughs> I am not into a granola person, but it was a miraculous experience. And um, even when I take some people out there, my dad says, what do you do all day? It's not about <laughs> riding the horse at all. It's about the relationship you build with them. And they sense something. Um, I had a dog and you know, when you come home, the dog is waiting for you, wants to please you. The horse is not like that. The horse does everything on his or own, her own terms. And they but just a sixth sense that they know if you're depressed, you've got anxiety. I've seen it in other people too. And so I've become a big advocate for them. I, I go there, you know, every single weekend. And um, I love the many horses too, because they're like people, you know, the sibling, the, the hierarchy. And it's kind of a metaphor because ahead of this seven little minis, his name is Sammy. Sammy was number one until he lost his friend three years ago. And when I went to the farm, 
three years ago. He went from being number one to the bottom of the heap below a little foal named Beansboro. And I just wondered, you wonder if that grief is ever going to go away. Is he going to stay? Well, three weeks ago, guess what? He's number one again. Oh. And you see the parallels. Uh, you see the parallels. Um, meanwhile, when COVID struck, my therapist said, Kayla, you better get busy. You got to stay busy. So I had heard about something called the Connection for Sight through the accountability court. So I called somebody and said, what exactly is that? I know it has something to do with recovery. What do they do? Okay, so I went over there, volunteered. Um, we would call people to check in on them because of the isolation. The isolation is the enemy for anybody in recovery. And so the, re you know, the alcohol sales went through the roof. The relapse went through the roof. The emergency room overdoses increased 30%. So we do that or I call the media to try to call attention to what was happening. Next thing you know, I get a job. Thank you, COVID. Who would imagine that? <laughs> I love it. Well, let's go back. Okay, so you talk about PTSD and you don't get diagnosed for 17 years. And this is one reason I'm a huge mental health advocate. I just feel like, you know, you hear this all the time, but a broken leg is very obviously broken. A broken arm is very obviously broken but you go in and you have these symptoms and you don't even know what they are, much less a stranger doctor. They don't know what they are because you can't explain them. And so it's not something that's seen with the bare eye. So it's hard to get diagnosed. It's hard to bring awareness. And so that's kind of why I'm such a big mental health advocate because it is mental health is just as important, if not more important than your physical health and everything else that people push so much. It's just one big circle of life. You know, mental health is huge. And so I want to kind of go on that a little bit. So you were talking about getting diagnosed with PTSD, not even really knowing you had it, didn't connect the dots a little bit. What were some of the, I guess, symptoms that looking back, you're like, oh yeah, I definitely had PTSD. Well, the anxiety, um, I still have that today, not to the extent. In other words, it doesn't go away. There's nothing magic, but it lessens over time. But um, let's say someone drops a box in back room or a truck is going by. I was at the Braves game this weekend with the Warriors Alliance. I was fine. I'm looking around. It wasn't until they shot the guns that I jumped. Um, so I still have that, but not nearly the, what it was before, but the, the anxiety was paralyzing to, 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 to even sit still to try to work. I guess in retrospect, I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. I didn't know what it was, but from my feet to like my shoulders, um, it was hard to function. I just rallied. I keep using that word rally through. Um, and occasionally I didn't know what a flashback was. And I learned through treatment what a flashback was sometimes i'd be driving the car at night i'd see a flash of light i'd just put over do my grounding and my coping skills i only realized recently through the interaction of a reporter at reuters remember i told you about that that white room and i was trapped in the stairwell right hello that's what it was that white i was seeing um and i talked to some of the veterans at the game the other day and it's, it really is different for everyone, even in the veterans. It was, it looked a little bit different 
then everyone and there was a woman in a wheelchair i'm trying to get into the uh equine therapy uh she was she was at war and there was an explosion equipment fell on her so she's got tbi she's sitting there all alone i'm going to talk to her she's blaming herself she's blaming herself Ugh. or today today i get a call from somebody who happens to be a 9-11 survivor who lives within driving distance so, want to go to lunch fine my, my my nypd survivor guy i met we went to see him and man i was scared after i saw him because he didn't live in new york but he had an experience he was in the south tower at the 25th floor had the scare of his life but he's telling me well i didn't have it bad like you i didn't have it bad like you and you could just see the look in the eye i told myself thank god for my treatment um you can just still see it out there and that's one of the reasons i'm speaking out because there's so many people even even the program that's supposed to help people is now under a cloud by the government why haven't these people been helped why weren't they aware that they were going to have help i mean a lot of the uniform people remember john stewart had to shame the congress into funding that that's different than the civilians but as you said getting back to the the ptsd it's so overused um, it's invisible, as you said. So some people think, yeah, sure you do. We have a kid at school coming. Oh, I had a, a bad, bad, um, a bad test today. I got PTSD. It's so misused. Um, and that's, that's the stigma. The same thing that with the whole mental health argument, it's 2021 and we still have a long way to go. It's a nice slogan, right? A nice slogan, but there's, there's discrimination. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of like I was actually saw the John Stewart thing and it was embarrassing for the United States, the Congress, for sure. They showed up, these guys showed up and basically no Congress showed up to hear the speeches. It was, if you haven't watched that, go back and watch it. It's an embarrassment for the country. Honestly, it, it had me choked up. Um, it just is so sad because you would think now we've made a lot of progress in the last 20 years. We still have a lot to make. However, my first response was everybody that got out should be provided with counseling, should be provided with doctor recommendations or referrals the minute they call in because you've seen something you aren't meant to see, things that nobody else will see. You went through something that you can't even process. Like you said, 20 years later and you're still working these out, you just figured out you have all these. Um, and I think the same thing for soldiers coming back home from war. They come in, they expect them to be a US citizen and act like nothing's happened. Well, they've seen things that people aren't supposed to see, that they're not trained to deal with once they get back over here in the real world. So and that's why I didn't go to New York. These are the same ones who say, thank you for your service. They wear the pin, they run around the country. But in that case with the John Stewart, you had members from other states of Congress saying, well, you know, we're not gonna fund it. It's really a New York problem. Neither yeah. are the same ones who couldn't wait to get a, a, a microphone in their, in their space to try to uh, monopolize on that. So yeah, this year I've been to, the museum i spoke at the museum i've been there many times this year i was so angry at the politicians i said you know what i have a really great offer from the atlanta braves and the warriors family i'm going to stay here and it was uh i'm a yankee fan now they introduced me to the other coach of the miami Marlins, who is a lifelong a yankee hero so go. it was a fabulous 
event. It was very special. So you know what? I'm not giving up on the Yankees, but now I got to go buy a Brave shirt. Hey, I'm not, I'm not mad about you supporting the Braves. Uh, okay. The South, the South is where it's at. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. So it's hard to believe one, like I said, 20 years ago. So I found myself, especially after talking to you, starting to dig a little bit deeper, do a little bit of research. Cause I was super young when it happened. I remember exactly where I was. I remember going to school. I remember the classroom I was in when they played it on the television, all the adults, including my mom, were just in total shock and disarray. But I was in an age where it didn't really connect. It didn't affect me personally. And so I couldn't, there was a, like a disassociation, right? Because sure. uh, at, at that age, you just don't understand if it's not right in front of you. Um, and so watching it back now, like I said earlier, being 30 now and watching all these things, it's heartbreaking. So I actually saw all of these things. So going back for people my age and younger, you know what happened, but you don't know a lot of the details. So I'm going to run through it really quick. So at 846, a plane goes in the North Tower. So there are two World Trade Centers. 903, a second plane goes in the South Tower. 937, the Pentagon in Washington, so a whole other state, it gets attacked. So now they're thinking it's definitely war. Uh, they thought maybe it was a mistake at first. Maybe a train got off track. I mean, a plane got off track. At 9.59, the building starts to completely collapse. So it just fell apart like cards, like a stack of cards. Um, at 10.03, there was a plane that just crashed in the middle of a field in Pennsylvania. And that was because um, some people on the uh, plane actually took it over, got it off course, but they're pretty certain it was trying to hit the White House. Um, and then at 10.28, the second tower fell apart. So in about an hour and a half, the world was in total disarray. And so if you're my age or younger, none of that, you don't remember any of that, but that's kind of the outline of what happened. So the fact that Kayla, you were able to make it out. I mean, all this happened so fast. You're on the 68th floor. So the fact you were able to get down, get out, not get engulfed in that huge cloud and survive is just an unsung hero in itself. And the fact that you're here 20 years later speaking out and making your place although it was a long road to get here and i can't imagine and i do want to discuss that a little bit more i want to thank you for getting up here having a voice putting people in their place saying hey this is what we need from everybody so that is fantastic so all that to say 20 years ago it's been all over the news this week because the 11th was just a couple of days ago the media remembering and harping and going over it do you find that helpful or hurtful does it bring back bad memories for you like how does that affect you seeing it posted everywhere um in terms of being recorded reported as history i'm all for that because um one of the reporters i met last week i think it was a local abc affiliate he said they now have rules where they will never show the building collapsing they will never show the fireball um, I don't think that's appropriate for a child to see, but in terms of reporting the news, just changing history, to me, it's part of, part of our, uh, part of American history. It just needs to be reported that way, but you start pulling that away, you're kind of lessening what happened. People just need to know that it happened. And I think my niece is on the line. I call September 11th my birthday, even though it's not my birthday. Um, it's my niece. She was three years old. My sister lived in Boston. They were going to a, um, 
to get her a birthday cake. The neighbor waves down my sister and says, hey, do you know what happened? Did you hear about the World Trade Center? And the neighbor didn't know that my, my sister had a sister in there. And so that's my sister freaked out. And, but um, so S September 11th is, you know, a day I always, always remember it's special because my little niece was on there. Oh, that's so sweet. That's a good way to remember that date for sure. Um, yeah, I cannot believe they're trying to block that out. Chloe said, I'm here. Love you, Aunt KK. Uh, <laughs> a, a lot of people are thanking you for sharing your voice. Uh, we got a couple of questions, but we'll address those in just a little bit. Um, I can't believe they're trying to block out some of that history. That just blows my mind. Because like I said, I was even alive and I witnessed it, but it wasn't until as an adult, I went back and rewatched it, that it really hit home and it wouldn't have hit home so much if I didn't see those live videos. I mean, I feel like that's what hit is because you can't imagine because you're not used to seeing anything like that happen. Just like you guys, you weren't meant to see a building collapse or a plane crash into it. Hence why therapy is so appropriate. But for us, if you take all that out, it's just going to sound like a little story somebody made up. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know what's going on in the day of political correctness. I do think things need to be done, done tastefully. Uh, you don't have to show it 500,000 times or anything like that, but appropriate to the day, it just would happen. Wow. That's wild. Um, okay. So immediately after, let's say September 11th happened, you said you pretty much worked eight months straight after that. Didn't even take a break, which I feel like that right there is kind of a sign of anxiety and just like keeping busy. What else kind of showed up immediately after that event? So like cognitively, emotionally, behaviorally, was there anything that really stick, stuck out? Uh, I was focused on work because even immediately, you know, the antenna on my building went down. So when I went to a hotel, I had no TV, no nothing. I'm not sleeping or anything like that. But when eventually that came back, I no longer had the tolerance to really sit still. Even to today, movies that I used to enjoy, like Lethal Weapon and all that, I can't watch that anymore. Um, I didn't like to go in cars for long periods of time. When I actually went to see my parents, um, I took a bus into New Jersey. When I came back, going into the city, seeing that bare skyline, I was, but yeah, I, I, um, I just kept to, kept to my uh, work. And what made it bearable is that everyone I went through the experience with my, the people are, you know, the senior staff and the people worked directly for me. We just kept our heads down and kept going. Um, now some counselors eventually came in, um, I had a conversation once or twice. I don't even remember the conversation. I think I was too numb. Um, uh, my, my staff had got me a massage, I don't know, two months after. I said, bring in the deep tissue specialist. They did it. I was so numb, I couldn't feel anything. And so I guess I was, um, I don't know, that anxiety was so high, it was hard to do anything. Sure, absolutely, yeah. That's, that's wild. So a lot of people, um, when they're, let's say they're struggling with a lot of things. They don't even know they're struggling, but as an outsider looking in, you can see it pretty clearly. And I've learned this through a lot of my other live streams. So forcing someone to get help isn't going to be the answer. They have to realize, oh, I do need help. Oh, all these things are happening. So like for you, it took you a while to realize that all these things were 
uh, perhaps PTSD or some kind of side effect. But as soon as you notice, that's when you started making progress, right? It took a long time, but as I say, better late than never. Oh, um, I believe that, that for sure. You're so grateful for that program um, in Forsyth County. If it wouldn't be for that, I don't know. I, I could be in jail. Maybe I had another DUI and a, a wasted life. Yeah, sure. So do you feel like other than that therapy, what do you feel like helps the most uh, with your diagnosis? So we'll, we'll stick with PTSD and anxiety. So what do you feel like helps the most outside of therapy, like outside of the equestrian therapy? Well, as they always say, it took me, I'm a slow learner to some of this stuff. Um, when they would say things like be in the present, I'm like, what do you mean be in the present? I'm a planner. That's why I was so good at the crisis. What do you mean in this present? Um, but because I was so good at the crisis communication, I had to learn to pull back. Um, I remember one of the, one of the uh, therapists said to me, they gave me this book. They said, pick a page out of it. I'm like, what is this? I didn't know what it was. But immediately I'm thinking, what is the point before they told me the point? It said, uh, we want you to color this. What do you mean color this? What are colors? I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? I'm 57 years old, I'm gonna be coloring? Really, really? But I understood what they were trying to say is take your brain is still in the fight or flight, freeze, hypervigilant mode. And so you're retraining your brain to focus and to slow down. That's what it was all about. Now, coloring didn't stay with me long because what I learned to do is when I was at the farm, I started taking pictures and I don't just take a picture. I have this program, this Adobe program, and you can do colors. I can take a, a picture that's a dog and then turn it into something really beautiful. And that's why I got 18,000 photos. I hate to delete anything, but that, you know, it takes a lot out of me, but it achieves the same goal. Um, I do grounding skills. I met a guy who is a Vietnam vet, you know, this five, four, three, two, one, the breathing. Um, I have to, sometimes if I just need to take a walk to change the dynamics, um, those are the basic things I do. And of course, music. So I have to do a little more research on you. <laughs> like you got all these things going, but music is very soothing. Um, I turn on music when I can't sleep. I they tried to get me to do these uh, visualizations. This is the first doctor I had that I, I stopped going to. She says, okay, we're going to imagine you coming out of the World Trade Center in a lush green field. Now, this is maybe three months after September, September 11th. She's talking about a lush green field. That was the end of that. <laughs> you said, thanks, no thanks. And one other thing that might be uh, interesting to you and your viewers, um, someone over at the, at the horse farm, who's working on a specific certification. She asked me one day, she said, hey, there are all these proposals out there that would send thousands and thousands of healthcare workers or you know, therapists to the site of these events. Do you think that would have helped? I said, it sounds good on paper, but there's no way the senior staff are gonna be taking, you know, are gonna put aside and go, you know what I mean? Because somebody's gotta run the place. And, and at least for me, in my case, I didn't want to appear. If I started to cry, then the other people would cry. One of my triggers are people like panicking because when I came out of the building, the screaming, I had to have someone kind of removed, and I say removed, taken to get some water on the side of the street. Um, and so, and I didn't want to take off. Um, I wanted them to just see me in day in, day out, so they would have some consistency and structure.
Um, so I don't think that would have worked, but more thought needs to be given to that. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's go back to the therapy thing. I, like I said, I introduced this right before you came on. I was talking about the therapy. Um, so tell me how you found out about this particular spot. Where is it? What do you love so much about it? Um, this little farm. This little farm. It's called Special Equestrians of Georgia. They started something um, with the purpose of hippotherapy. You probably know about that. Kids and adults across the spectrum are kind of unsteady. And when I first went to the farm, I kind of observed some kids, some of them unable to walk. They needed help to get on the horse. But the way the horse is built, it helps them to build their core. And they get on the ho horse, and you see the smile, you see the confidence. One of the uh, young persons um, I've got to know at the farm, she's now getting her master's degree from college. They said she wouldn't walk, but guess what? You want to talk about overcoming obstacles? Um, so we had to close that because of COVID. But when I go there, they just have nice people there. I can chill. I'll go in with the minis and uh, they, they know I'm coming. They, they see my car. They know my car, they know my voice, and I'm always bringing peppermints. So the little crumple, yeah. it's like a little dog or whatever, boom. Um, but yeah, to just relax, if I gotta do some work, I can sit in the stall. One of the horses I work with, his name is Jesse. He's a big, beautiful black Frisian. We're taking the horse shows. He wins everything, but guess what? He comes back to the farm. He has PTSD because the prior owner beat him in the farm. Oh, oh, so there's two sides of him, but I work very well with him and to see how far he's come. Um, even yesterday, I saw him chasing the minis. That was an unusual sight because he was afraid of the minis. So I work with T. There's another horse. He's black. Um, I think he's a Texas walker. I'm not sure, but they named him Cash after Johnny Cash, but he Love came to the farm. Um, malnourished. The, the owner who had him was a senior citizen, really couldn't take care of him. And so I started working with him. He's only two and a half. He needs some manners, but I'm really <laughs> starting you know, you got to teach him the respect and discipline, and he's got a, um, a food aggression. So um, when it's food time, I don't go anywhere near him. You know, it's like you hear the bang and the pots and pans and this little horse cash. Um, and so the fact that he was malnourished too, there's just so many, so many parallels and so many personalities. Um, I call it Peaceville because the, this place and on the Gulf, when I lived in Louisiana, we had a boat, we'd go out fishing. Um, it's like where everything stops, you don't have to think of a thing of the world and to just watch these little creatures play and you know, they'll engage me too. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm actually, um, I do a few hours in the morning. I'm a speech therapist as well. My sister-in-law is an occupational therapist. So I'm very well versed in hippotherapy, a huge believer of it. Um, there is a ton of research talking about how this stuff helps. And like you said, just to kind of explain it from a therapy level. So it can help kids, teenagers, adults, literally with anything. Um, like Miss Kayla said, it can help kids that uh, don't really have core strength or anything like that. It can help teenagers that 
um, are acting out uh, for attention. It can help adults with PTSD. It can help anyone with anxiety, depression. It just has, it's almost like the save all. It's amazing. And so Miss Kayla, I do want to talk to you about, you've got to go fund me right now for that specific farm, right? Yeah, let me back that up a little bit though. Yeah, go ahead. Um, we talk about veterans. In this day and age, through all the Republican administration, Democrat, whatever it is, they all pay lip service to the vet. In this day and age, they're still not getting the help they need. And so I was so gratified to see so many veterans this weekend. I'm hoping we can form between the Braves and the, um, the Warrior Alliance to come together and to form um, some type of treatment program, wellness program, um, not just for mental health, but for substance abuse, because the underlying issues of substance abuse are mental health. And so that's kind of a dream of mine, is to try to put all these pieces together. Um, and even when I had some reporters interview me at the forum, um, one of them had just moved from New York and we were talking, she said, no, I didn't realize there were so many murders in Atlanta. I said, yeah, I said, well, well how do you deal with that? She said, she can only take so much and after, you know, a few different, I get violent, violent things she has to cover, they'll, they'll move her. But I said, well, what, does, what do the companies you work for do for media? Nothing. So my dream is to put, to have this farm, work with all these different groups and to bring the media in who deal with trauma. Can you imagine? Um, and that's shootings, but imagine being in another country, this, this reporter, you might've seen the story, Shannon Stapleton, who took this picture of me coming out of the building that day. I met him finally uh, about a month ago and he's been after, so he, after 9-11 in that day, he's at the stock exchange, he hears something, he comes down and shoots these pictures and he stays there for days. He sleeps at ground zero for days and days and days and then they send him to Afghanistan. Um, when he was here, he had to leave early because of Miami, the, the tower, I was like, that's another, that's another opportunity of, you know, people we need to help, you know, I, you know, some people, the fake news and all that other stuff. I think most of them were trying to do, you know, just trying to report the news that, you know, it's a little sad at the federal level or whatever, what's going on nationally. But I, I've met a lot of nice reporters who, who just put their lives on the line to keep us informed. Absolutely. Yeah. I never would have thought about that, honestly. Um, yeah. So, let's chat about this GoFundMe. So uh, one, what does it go towards? Two, how can people, I already told them there's a link. If you go to my page, it says Linktree, click on that. And it's usually got like my shows and ways you can get a hold of me. But the first tab right now is your GoFundMe. So what does that money go towards? It goes to the special equestrians. It's a 50C3 nonprofit organization. What it is, it's a husband and wife who left New York I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. They bought this beautiful, well, they bought an old farm. Um, and it's basically been the husband and wife taking every dime they have put into this little dilapidated farm. Now, Milton, you hear Milton, that's sort of horse country. You see all the opulent farms and all that other type of stuff. This place doesn't even charge veterans. They didn't charge me for anything. So it goes back into... They need, 
I'm hoping these organizations are going to help with the maintenance of the property. It needs significant upgrades. They got the horses, they got the teachers, but they don't have the help with with the maintenance and you know just even barn chores. They both work. They got to feed the horses in the morning, water the horses, clean the stalls when they get home. I frankly don't know how they do it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. So guys, if you're watching, you want to help this out. Uh, so Kayla, this video, when we are done, it will also be posted to my page. So people will go back and I've already had a ton of messages, uh, people wanting to go back and watch this once they get home tonight. So people can go back and visit. I'm going to leave that GoFundMe tab on my, uh, site for quite a while so people can hop on there help you out guys that's a fantastic way to help somebody out it goes towards something amazing i am blown away that they provide therapy and all of these things for free so they deserve your donations if you feel like giving um, and i tell people all the time people think oh i can only spare a dollar five dollars do it it makes a difference if a few people donated five ten bucks that makes that adds up quickly yeah that's uh, 10 horses and it's, I figured it out last week, $3,000 a month just to feed the horses. That, that doesn't include the vet and the farrier. They even have a, a chiropractor that comes up there. Wow. They, they can't go and they got two little baby goats. I didn't know they do the, go, the, the little uh, goat shoes either when the farrier comes out. That was educational. Yeah. Wow. These horses are treated better than I am. I need a chiropractic visit. <laughs> I love it. All right. So I do want to address real quick before we uh, go. I asked some people if they had any questions for you. I added a few in earlier, but I do want to address a few because uh, I promise I would ask. All right. So here we go. Number one, before 9-11, was it abnormal to see planes flying by? And where were you in relation to where the plane struck? Um, my tower was the first one hit. Was it? It was not normal to see commercial airliners within that space. Never, not a zip. And um, that's why I think some people who were on the ground from what I understand and what I've seen the news is, you see the people staring at the building, they're staring long enough. And then they see this another one coming around for the second tower. Um, so I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> which, <laughs> I, you may not know, do you know which direction the plane came from? As yeah, I know you were in the building, so you would have just felt it. You weren't sure. I don't know. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Somebody asked, have you heard from other civilian survivors that say they had side effects like you that it took so long to be figured out? I've heard from, I've gotten people through Facebook and calling me, even like the guy from today. Nobody's contacted them. Some of them need rehab with no resources. Some people quit their jobs because they couldn't function properly. So there are hundreds, uh, hundreds of survivors who have yet to even been contacted to know they're even eligible. Um, it seems to be there's something that's called the Victims' Compensation Fund. Um, a lot of people assume that if you were in the building, you got millions of dollars. It, that wasn't right. Uh, that went to families who lost the loved ones or, or you have to have lung cancer and be dying and to have to prove it to get the help. And that's a hodgepodge of this, this who, new NBC news story that dropped last week. And then today it documents hundreds of people who haven't gotten the help. In fact, 
I know people who called them last week leading up to the anniversary, and guess what? You didn't get a return call for two days. You left a message. Um, so much for ramping up to help folks. Um, but I'm hoping the Congress is going to step in, have some congressional hearings, and just fix this now before anybody else dies. 20 years later, blows my mind. Um, so somebody wrote, therapeutic writing is great for the soul, the mind, and the body. It benefits so many others, including Kayla. I walked with a walker until first grade and now can do anything because of this program. Somebody else wrote, they saved my sister-in-law. Um, so, so many people... Oh gosh, I can't even keep up with all the comments about how great, how much they love you. Um, Don, yes, you can share this later. It will be on my page. Um, you can share it. Kayla, same with you. It'll be on my page forever on Instagram. Um, so you can share this. Like I said, the link is in my bio. I will share all over my Facebook as well, which is Townsend T Music. Um, the site and links, Kayla, to your uh, actual things, they have the links on there as well under your bio. There are plenty of places to go find it. Um, okay, let's get to another one. Somebody wanted to know, um, what act of kindness stuck out the most on that day? So was there anything that you saw that just really stuck with you? Not that day, but a couple of days later, there's a guy named Peter Yerkes who was a deputy in my department. He lost his wallet. <laughs> um, I guess he took a cab after in the craziness. He lost his wallet. His wife, you know, people reacted crazy because of what had happened, screaming at him. The next day, a cab driver comes in with everything intact. It's a Muslim cab driver. Um, and, you know, with all the hatred, I don't believe any any um, religion. I think there are bad people all over the globe, sadly, including here. But you want to talk about, a, you know, going above and beyond. That was a beautiful moment of humanity. Um, I wish more people knew about that. I love that. That is fantastic. And what a brave thing, like I said, just to show back up, knowing that uh, you could almost say his ethnic group, yeah. uh, for lack of better terms, just ticked off our country. So that's amazing. Wow. I hope he hears how amazing his story was. I hope that somehow he hears you talk about that and gets the thanks that he deserves for sure. Okay. I also had a lot of people ask, do you have any respiratory issues after this? Because you were talking about, and guys, go back and watch this video. I posted a clip live from the buildings falling. The amount of smoke and debris, um, they actually said it was 1.8 million tons of debris that came down. And people are dying from lung cancer. They're dying from uh, emphysema, COPD, all from just that much inhalation. So do have you yourself, do you have any respiratory issues from that day? I'm keeping an eye on sinusitis, um, but so far so good. But the other thing, there are a lot of people um, with autoimmune issues as a result of that. That's still not covered. Um, and so that needs to be addressed. I, I was with a, fire, a police officer today who was there. He's got four kids. He's doing okay now, but he's worried. Um, he has an annual exam, but who knows? Remember they said that the, everything was safe um, we just, we just don't know, but I'm knock on wood so far. So good. Wow. That is wild. Um, somebody asked, um, there were a ton of questions. Like I said, we kind of already addressed somebody said, um, how can people help you and other survivors? So what are some things maybe, uh, 
that people can do to help out? Well, if they don't give to the GoFundMe and they can't do it, come and volunteer. Um, volunteer at the farm. You can call me at the connection. We're always looking for volunteers to put family events together to help, you know, relatives, family, relatives, friends with substance abuse problem. There's always a need to volunteer. And um, I got a letter last week. I came on late one night. It looked like a solicitation letter. <laughs> I opened it and there was a self-addressed stamped envelope like we used to see handwritten. The letter was from a six-year-old from North Carolina. Wow. He, um, he and his dad started a, a, a program they call it In the Mailbox. So his dad wants him to learn history by writing letters to people that they admire. And um, he said his dad used, wants him to write the letters to improve his handwriting and to be able to communicate with strangers in a safe way and to learn respect. Wow. A six-year-old. So um, he asked me to handwrite him a letter. He'll never be able to read it. So I had to type and send him a letter. <laughs> but I'm like, you want to talk about hope in the world? There it is. His name is Tucker. Tucker Rose. I love it. Well, Tucker, I hope more people end up like that. I hope to be as awesome as Tucker one day for sure. Um, okay, I just kind of want to summarize for people. There are a ton of people that have commented, a ton of people that have logged in since we've been on here. One statistic that I found, there were, um, you know, all, just under 3,000 people were killed during that attack. And not only that, like you and I've talked about, hundreds and thousands of people were injured, are having lifelong effects, are um, struggling with autoimmune, struggling with breathing, not to mention mental health issues, anxiety, all of these things 20 something years later. So this huge thing, um, this event started at 8.46 in the morning, just a normal morning, and it all kind of wrapped up at 10.28. So in less than two hours, people's world just completely shifted, made the history books, um, they said that it's taken over 3.1 million hours to go through, find bodies, clean up some of the debris, which I said earlier was 1.8 million tons of debris. And so if you were too young for that to hit, I really encourage you to go back, watch these videos like I have. I posted a couple that I found kind of hit home for me. Kayla, one was of you talking about going down the stairs. I posted just a blip of that on my page. There are tons of documentaries about it. So go watch those, educate yourself because people like Kayla, there are tons of them. All right, so I'm gonna say it one more time because I want this to resonate with people. In my bio, click on my link tree and there's a GoFundMe. Every penny that you donate, it can be a dollar, it can be $500, whatever you want it to be. Every dollar goes to provide free therapy for kids, vets, anybody. Um, and that is just so, so, so amazing. If you can't do that, message me. We can find a way for you to help somehow. Kayla, thank you so much for joining me. Like it is, I am beyond honored. I was nervous as can be about this live stream because I thought this is such a sensitive topic. I don't want to come off as insensitive or uneducated. Not at all. And I want to thank you. It happened very quickly, but what you're doing to be able to use your voice to do good I realize that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. So if there's anything I can help you or anyone who needs a voice of help in terms of mental health, I'm there.
Absolutely. Kayla, I'd love to partner with you somehow in the future, do something together because I 1000 believe in what's the point of a story if you don't tell it, right? I feel like we have these stories to be able to share, which is why I started my platform. I do these live streams twice a month on a variety of topics. Like you said, I've done substance abuse. I've done um, uh, eating disorders because although they're not mental health, as far as diagnosis of PTSD, it is really under the mental health umbrella. We all have bad days. And so I feel like it's just super important to address that and let people know that they are not alone. Well, we can get better. We can get better. We get the treatment. We can get better. Absolutely. Just, uh, just hearing that you're not alone, I feel like is a huge accomplishment, right? Amen. Thank you for what you're doing. And guess what? The terrorists didn't win. The terrorists didn't win. Here we are talking about it, which is wild. That blows my mind. All right. It's been a blessing, an honor. I wish you the best of luck. I hope people go and help your GoFundMe and that we continue to do things like this. I know you're going to make a huge difference in people's lives. And I just thank you for including me in your journey. Thank you for including me in your journey. Absolutely. Save my number. I'd love to keep up. Awesome. Thank All right. You. Have a good evening, Ms. Gayla. See you. All right. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this conversation and are interested in becoming a sponsor, feel free to shoot me an email at townsendtmusic at hotmail.com or shoot me a message on any social media platform at townsendtmusic for more information. I would love for you to become a member to help spread awareness that you're not alone. If you're looking to buy or sell, I have the perfect realty company for you. Clark & Co. Realty is located in the Benton, Bryant, Arkansas area. And they understand that buying or selling a home is more than just a transaction. It's a life-changing experience. That's why their team of highly seasoned real estate professionals is dedicated to providing exceptional, personalized services for all their clients. They truly take great pride in the relationships they build, and they always work relentlessly on the client's behalf to help them achieve their perfect real estate goals. They always have the client in mind, and I can speak firsthand when I say how reliable, trustworthy, and quick they were. When I was looking to buy my first home, they were there with me every step of the way, answering every question I could think of. They showed me a great amount of knowledge and patience through the process. It's no wonder they've won so many awards for their outstanding services and their excellent relationships with clients. So if you're looking to buy or sell, there is no better option than Clark & Co Realty. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to make a donation to the Special Equestrians of Georgia, I've provided the GoFundMe link below in the bio. Click the link, make a donation, and help keep this amazing program up and running. 